0: Well, before you look at the title of this sermon, and think you need to find another church, let me remind you that we're in a a series called Spiritual Urban Legends. Much like other urban legends we hear, these beliefs are not true, even though they may often contain a bit of truth. Today, our topic is, everything happens for a reason. You've probably heard this before, and rarely is it in response to good news. Often it is said in response to a tragedy or crisis, some painful experience someone is enduring, and they either tell themselves this or others tell them this in an effort to provide comfort. So for example, you're listening to a friend explain the difficult years she's had, either because of health problems or a financial crisis or a broken relationship, and she concludes... But I know everything happens for a reason. I'm sure some good will come from it. I just can't wait to see what it is. Depending on the nature and severity of the crisis, these words can ring very hollow. It's one thing if there isn't much at stake and it's a minor frustration. But when someone says that the sexual assault or the abuse or the cancer or the divorce, or the death, all happened for a reason, that's a lot harder to accept. Really? This awful thing that happened is actually the perfect plan of some good benevolent God, I just can't see how because His ways are not our ways? If this happened because of the perfect plan of God, you think, I'm not sure I'm interested in knowing, much less worshiping that kind of God. The flowers at the front of our stage today are in honor of a little boy, Eli Khan, who died six years ago this past Friday at the age of nine months from SIDS, sudden infant death syndrome. Eli was the firstborn son of Leah and Ben. Leah was here first service and would have been the older brother to Lucy and Zeke, who are here with us in City Kids. Leah said numerous people told her this phrase in the weeks following Eli's inexplicable death. Can you imagine? If someone had told me that after losing a child, I'm pretty sure I would punch them. Very tragically, this is one reason why many people abandon their faith in God, because they've been told this spiritual urban legend and they find it not only unhelpful, but downright disturbing. And that's why it's so important we spend some time thinking about this and getting it right. Because believing this legend is not just some harmless misunderstanding. It's actually an inaccurate view of God that will eventually bring heartache and disillusionment to all who trust in this belief. This belief has several problems with it. Let me name just two. First of all, there are some things that are so heinous, I don't care what good comes from it. The math doesn't add up. Some things are so tragic that any ends, even really positive ones, do not justify the means. Second, if God really is all-powerful, as we rightly, I would say, affirm, then can't he accomplish his good purposes through some other means? Now, don't get me wrong. I understand the motive behind this phrase is well intended. We usually use this phrase to comfort a hurting person or to prevent ourselves from feeling their pain because it's just, well, too painful like putting a hand in front of a garden hose gushing water. Sometimes we say these words in order to stop the flow of any expression of grief or anger because we hate seeing our loved one in such pain. Offering such comfort is one way of making sense out of the suffering we are experiencing, and that is a very basic human need. In addition, Christians sometimes use this phrase for another reason, A desire to, in my opinion, rightly, preserve a critical aspect of God's character, the belief that God is in control of all things, or sovereign. Whenever we face a tragedy, we're faced with a problem, and it's what theologians call the problem of evil. If there is a good and loving God, and he is, as the Christian faith affirms, all-powerful, then how can such awful atrocities be permitted Either he is not as good and loving as we think, or he is not as powerful and in control as we think. Some Christians, in an effort to hold together God's goodness with his power, assert then that there must be some secret divine plan behind what we see. We want to affirm that he is good and that he is over all things, and this phrase seems to meet both criteria. Like those images that if you stare at them long enough, they change form. We will eventually see positive in these awful events if we just wait long enough for God's purposes to unfold. So the legend goes. I want to suggest today that there is a way to affirm both God's goodness and God's sovereignty that holds more substance than this spiritual urban legend. And in this case the truth is much better than the legend. If you've ever been troubled by this statement, then I have good news for you today. The God we serve is not the author of or the reason behind evil things. He is opposed to them. In fact, the very reason he came was to put a stop to them. Even though this world is still under God's control, our present reality is not the way it's supposed to be. It's not the world God originally created, and it's not the way it will end. If you're offended by all that is evil and wrong in the world, so is God. He opposes it, he has conquered it, and one day he will eliminate it. Let me explain what I mean. To do so, I'm going to give a brief overview of the narrative of the Bible, We begin with a Christian understanding of the world with God who created us in love. Genesis one and two describe in poetic fashion how God created a world of goodness, of peace and harmony. Genesis one repeats the refrain, God saw all that he had made and it was good. We see glimpses of this goodness in creation today in the brightness of stars when we're camping or in the sunset on one of our lakes, or in the toothless grin of a baby. Genesis 1.31 records human beings as the crown of his creation. God saw all that he made, and it was very good. Everything else is good, but we human beings are very good. What makes us so unique among all God's creation? We were created not as robots or puppets, but as people, with all the dignity and honor, as well as responsibility that that carries. God gave us the capacity to choose whether or not to follow him. Real love necessitates choice. It cannot be coerced. Sadly, the first human beings, Adam and Eve, chose to disobey God Genesis 3 tells the story of how sin, and as a result, suffering, entered the world through their disobedience. Now, instead of a world in which goodness, justice, peace, love, and life prevail, we inhabit a world of sin, suffering, and death. A world where all we know has been damaged by evil. And this brokenness affects not only our relationship with God, but our relationships with one another and even with the created order itself. Genesis 3 reports the effects of the fall as causing enmity between men and women and thorns and thistles in God's good creation. So now not only are there beautiful sunsets and healthy babies with toothless grins, but there's also hurricanes off the, Gulf coast, off the coast of Florida and babies born with incurable diseases. And death is the greatest effect of this damage. The apostle Paul explains in Romans 5:12 that death entered the world through sin and in that way death came to all people. Elsewhere he says in 1 Corinthians 15:26 the last enemy to be defeated is death. Romans 8 describes the reality as creation longing waiting to be delivered from its bondage to decay. I love how Cornelius Plantinga describes it in his profound book on sin entitled, Not the Way It's Supposed to Be. He writes, sin is an anomaly, an intruder in God's good creation, a notorious gate crusher. Sin does not belong in God's world, but somehow it has gotten in. Think about it for a moment. All the pain we experience today, all the tragedies, are somehow the result of sin and its effects. And I mean sin generally, not specific sins we may commit. It is true that sometimes we may experience pain as a result of someone's specific or personal sin, as when a man is estranged from a family member because he spoke harshly to them at the last gathering or when a woman finds herself alone because she refused repeatedly to remain faithful to her marriage vows. But more often, the pain we experience is the result of just general sin, living in a world that's marred by evil, as in natural disasters or disease, death. And most often, it's much more complex and it's some combination of the two, general and specific sin combine and recombine in so many ways. We can't keep track of all the hybrids. No one person can take responsibility for Hurricane Matthew. But the fact that Haiti is in an impoverished country and we don't share the resources of this planet equitably make that disaster much worse. So we Christians don't need to put on a happy face and try to contort something bad into something good. Instead, we look at the bad and we say, this is not the way it's supposed to be. Let me be real clear here. I am not saying that God cannot use awful things to cause us to grow. If anyone can find the good in something, surely it is God. And we have several examples in the Bible of that happening. But to say that he can bring good out of evil is a far cry from saying that everything that happens is somehow good. We don't need to force fit evil things into becoming good things. Instead, the Bible argues that sin and as a result suffering pervade all of life ever since the fall. But thankfully, the story doesn't end there. Suffering pervades all of life ever since the fall, but in the end, it will not prevail. God did not give up on his creation. His great rescue project culminated in sending Jesus to earth to rescue us. Jesus' entire ministry was about bringing hope and healing to people. That's why we have so many stories of him healing people physically, emotionally, socially, and spiritually. But he doesn't just teach and model for us a different way. He makes it possible for us to live a different way. As we've already prayed and sung this morning, through his life, death, and resurrection, he overcame the power of sin and death once and for all. Romans 5, 21 and 22. For since death came through a human being, the resurrection of the dead also came through a human being. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ. All will be made alive. Jesus Christ died our death so that we might live. Those of us who put our trust in Jesus will be raised to new life after we die. And that new life that awaits us will be even better than it was when God originally created the world. The Bible speaks of the day when Jesus will return and restore this earth fully for good. When he will rule this earth in perfect goodness, justice, and love, where all our brokenness will be restored. Listen to how Revelation 21, 3-5 describes that day. Behold, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and he will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Behold, I am making all things new. I don't know what your view of heaven is, but let me tell you, it is not sitting around playing harps. It's living in the presence of the one who will deal justly and mercifully with all. Where evil and pain are not tolerated, where selfless love is the norm, and where all that is good, including the gift of friendship and relationship, will not ever be taken from us. Now that's something to get excited about. But the problem is, Even though we have been rescued by Jesus and even though we one day will experience that rescue fully when he returns, we aren't there yet. To use the image of mall maps, we are here or somewhere on that line. I actually hope we're closer to him coming. And while we may have been saved by Jesus, forgiven of our sins and seeking to follow him, we are not yet experiencing the fullness of that salvation. Do you see the overlap here? We are a people who experience both the hope and goodness of God through relationship with Jesus and the effects of this broken world. That gray line has a finite ending. Do you see that? But where we fall in the timeline, there's still overlap. Christians do not get to bypass sin and suffering, not yet anyway. So does everything, and really we mean the bad things, happen for a reason? Oh, you bet. But it's not because of God. It's because of the fallen world we live in. It's because of sin. It's because evil is permitted to rule for now until Jesus returns. But one day it will be done away with. God's main plan is to get rid of all brokenness once and for all through the death of his son, Jesus. In fact, his pain over the pain we face is what causes him to act and to rescue us. God doesn't just hate sin because he randomly set up the universe that way. God hates sin because it damages the creation he loves. In case that timeline is too abstract, let me see if this story about Jesus will help. In this story, we see how Jesus comforts others hurting. But we also see the truth of who God is. God's goodness and God's power equally at work. In John chapter 11, Jesus attends a funeral for a man named Lazarus. We know from other places in the Bible that Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha, were good friends with Jesus. Now watch what he does when he arrives. This is what God is like in the face of tragedy. We'll pick up the story in John 11:33. When Jesus saw her, Mary weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. We're going to come back to that. Where have you laid him? he asked as if he didn't know. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then this beautiful verse, shortest verse in the Bible, so worth memorizing. Jesus wept. Do you know that this is the only instance recorded in the Bible of Jesus weeping? And the word really does mean here bawling, shedding lots of tears. Imagine the living water himself is leaking Sobbing, in fact, in solidarity with his friend as she grieves the loss of a loved one. Of all the things Jesus experienced in his some 30 years on this earth, this is the one we have recorded that gets to him. The sight of those he loves experiencing the ripple effects of death. Oh, this is indeed comforting, friends. We do not worship a callous God who is unmoved by our emotions. I wonder if in your sadness at the loss of a loved one or whatever tragedy you have experienced, you need to know today that Jesus weeps with you, that your tears elicit his. It's very touching to think of Jesus weeping with us in our grief but can't he do anything about it? Well, in fact, sadness is not the only emotion recorded here for us. Verse 33 says, Jesus was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. <laughs> this, this is where translators cleaned it up a bit. This isn't just feeling strong emotion. It's anger. It's indignation. Yes, he is grieved at the pain death causes those facing it, but he is also angry at this enemy that has plagued the human race from the beginning of our time. And he has come to do something about it. It's time death met its match. It's time death dies. And so, with the resoluteness of a champion in a match, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. Take away the stone, he said. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Literally, literally, Lazarus out, hither. And I think you know the rest of the story. The dead man came out, grave clothes and all. Jesus has power over death itself. He restored the loved ones back together. I love this story. Because it captures for me who our God is in the face of suffering. On the one hand, He is good. He weeps with us, He feels it. This is not the way it's supposed to be. Sin, that alien intrusion in His good creation, has struck again. But He isn't just an empathetic presence, He is powerful. He reverses its effects. Death is no match for Jesus. Because of where we live in our timeline, we don't experience that fully right now. We still live in a sin-stained world. But just as he did with Lazarus, just as he did that first Easter Sunday, one day he will come again to earth and usher in a new world order, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Now that's a God I can worship and love a God who weeps with us in our pain and who also overcomes sin and death so we don't have to experience its consequences. Many of you know my mom died suddenly 10 years ago. She got an infection from an elective back surgery she had just after she retired to improve her quality of life. Our oldest son was just one year old at the time and I was devastated by the loss. Not only did I have a really good relationship with my mom but I was at a time in life where I felt like I really needed her. I think you probably always feel like you need your mom but um, I felt like I needed her to show me how to be a good mom. One year after she died, it was Easter time And I remember this reality hitting me in a new way. I was sitting sobbing in church, because that is more my personality. If you are a sobber, you can cry here. Tears are welcome. Do not apologize. In fact, I wish we had Kleenex in every row of the pew, but it actually takes up some room. But there's always some at the prayer point, so... Um, I was crying and I, um, I think the shock of the death had worn off and so I was experiencing more the reality of it and um, our two-year-old was saying, making great accomplishments like saying the word digger or something and I wanted her to hear that. Um, and the songs we were singing because it was Easter were all about Jesus' death and raising to life. And um, I was struggling with that. <laughs> the sting of death it was still stinging me. And uh, I was sobbing and eventually it hit me. uh, Maybe this was just God's goodness to me, but it hit me, you know, Amy, this is one reason why I came to get rid of this. Death is an enemy. It's an intruder in God's design and Jesus died his own death, so there might be a day where we human beings are no longer under this curse. He wasn't saying everything happens for a reason. He was saying, no, no, I've come to get rid of this. And I'm telling you, it did not remove my grief. I've still missed my mom on regular occasions. I wear her ring when I preach. But it does make me love Jesus. And to this day, whenever we sing songs about Jesus conquering the effects of death, I I just have an anticipation for that day. Because when you know the painful sting of death, you cannot help but love the one who conquered it and who will one day eliminate it. So instead of hollow cliches, let's do what Jesus did to comfort others. Let's weep. Maybe the best thing to say to those who need comfort is nothing at all. Maybe it's just to feel their pain with them, to mourn with those who mourn, as Romans 15, 12, 15 says. It doesn't have to be through actual tears. Crying is not the point. All personalities are welcome here. Empathizing with their pain and not and resisting putting a stopper on it is. And we act Unlike Jesus, we can't raise people from the dead. But those of us who trust in Jesus are to be his hands and his feet here on earth. We have his spirit in us to help us do this work, to in a sense push back the darkness, to reverse the limit, to reverse or limit the effects of the damage we see around us, to be a light, to reflect a glimmer of that foretaste we will experience one day when he returns to offer hope, to limit injustice, to extend grace, to comfort the hurting. City Church, rather than looking in vain for some cosmic silver lining that may eventually come from suffering, we can embrace the beautiful truth that we worship a God who is not only opposed to suffering, but who has come and has suffered himself so that he might conquer it and eliminate it on our behalf. We can stare at every kind of hybrid of evil in the world and proclaim, this is not the way it's supposed to be. We can weep with those who weep and we can act to soften the blow, to minimize the damage. And one day, one glorious day, we will hear the same voice that called Lazarus out of the tomb and he will say, enough. Now the dwelling of God is with people and the one who has beaten death at death's own game will usher in a new reality, a new world order where sin and suffering are not permitted and the last tear will fall. And after the last tear falls, there will be love and hope and freedom from sin and life. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Let's pray. Oh God, we are so thankful for this beautiful truth. We don't have to deny what we see around us. We don't have to minimize it. We don't have to contort it and to begin being good you've entered this mess to conquer to overcome and to eliminate and we long for that day and we don't see it now most days we need more glimmers we need more hope make us people who bring that future into this present now for your glory in jesus name and we love you you are the only one worth loving amen